You know, the Bible has a lot to say about Christ's return. Lots to say about it. We just sang about the fact that our king will return and bring us to live with him for all of eternity. That he will come and make all things new. Restore earth to what it was always meant to be, only better. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Jesus himself in Mark 13 says to his disciples, he says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. No one knows when Jesus will return. And so he says, stay awake, be on guard. Many of us, maybe we have a tough time believing that Christ will return. I mean, it's hard enough to believe that God became a man and and died and rose from the dead, but to believe that he will also come back to make all things new? It's so hard to believe. And so I think that's one of the reasons that God keeps telling us about his return again and again in the Bible. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, that's past tense, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And listen to this. This is how we ought to live in this present age, waiting for our beloved hope. Excuse me, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You can almost randomly open up to any book of the New Testament, and if you read through that book carefully, you're going to see something in there, some reference to the second coming of Christ, to his glorious return. But how much do we really talk about his return? With one another, with our families, or even in our services. And it's interesting that each time almost that the, that the Bible talks about Christ's return, there's also a word of instruction there. The Bible often tells us, because Christ is coming back, here's what you need to do. So for instance, in Mark 13, Jesus says, because I'm coming back, be on guard, keep awake. Keep your eyes open for my return. In Titus, the Apostle Paul says, because Jesus is coming back, we need to wait for him. Wait eagerly for him. You might think of waiting as as passive, right? Like waiting means do nothing. Just sit there. Like waiting for the train in the morning that you're taking to work. That, That time waiting for the train, it just feels like dead time. It's lost time. What do you do? Maybe you look at your phone. Maybe you take a nap. But waiting isn't always passive, is it? Sometimes waiting can be very active. Think about a couple that's expecting their, their child. Waiting for that couple involves doctor's visits and, and collecting baby clothes and preparing for what's ahead. Think about what it feels like to wait for Christmas. If you're young or young at heart at least, then you still get excited about Christmas time. Waiting for Christmas involves lots of stuff. It involves making lists and shopping and putting up a tree, maybe putting up lights, sending out cards, all in anticipation of that day. So no doubt we've all had the experience of, of, of waiting actively, of, of waiting for things that required us to actively prepare. And in all, each of those situations, what's happening is that, that anticipation is leading to action. Your anticipation leads to action. 
And again and again, this is what the Bible calls us to with regard to waiting for Christ's return. We wait actively. Our anticipation of his coming back is meant to move us into action. What does it look like for us to wait for Christ's return? Again, there's a lot of things we could say about that. Waiting for Christ's return means, well, means just doing your work, doing your job, getting up and going to work every day. Going to school every day is part of just living your life in anticipation of Christ's return. Doing justice. Raising your family. Many other mundane things, at least they feel mundane, you do. At least God calls us to do these things in anticipation of Christ's return. But what we're going to do today, we're going to look at these verses in 2 Peter, and we're going to look at what he has to say, what Peter has to say, about waiting for Jesus' return. Okay? Let me just give you a little bit of context. This, this book of 2 Peter, it's a letter. It was written by the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter was one of Christ's original disciples. He was one of Christ's closest companions and friends. And when he wrote this letter, do you know where he was? He was in prison. He was old. And he didn't expect to get out of prison. In fact, he was waiting to be executed. And while he waits for his execution, Peter writes this letter to other followers of Christ, to people like us, if you're a believer in Jesus. He writes this letter to his brothers and sisters in the family of God, and here's how he ends this final letter. I'm going to read from verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you want to open up there, we'll project these verses up here too for you. Peter says this, is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions, listen, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter's saying, listen, what's going to happen is that many people are going to take this attitude. They're going to say, the prophet said that Jesus is going to come back. The Bible tells us that he will return, but where is he? Where is this promise? It's not been fulfilled. Our ancestors lived and died, and they're gone. And things just keep going on day after day. Things are normal. Tomorrow's just going to be just like today. Today was just like yesterday. The seasons will come. Holidays will come and go. Birthdays will come and go. And nothing's ever going to change. He's not really coming back. Listen to what Peter says in verse 8. He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. <laughs> the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But listen, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That simply means it'll come unannounced, right? When a thief comes to your house, he doesn't call you ahead of time and make an appointment. He just shows up. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then 
The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the, the heavenly bodies, the stars and the planets, will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is apocalyptic language. This is so dramatic. Reading about the very heavens, the sky itself, undergoing this complete transformation, the earth itself being made new. But why does this even matter? Look at what Peter says in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, listen, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This world that we live in, um, there, there's, there, there's a lot of problems in this world, aren't there? There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of evil. There's so much strife corruption, death, sickness, hunger, loss, hatred, racism, war. The list goes on. This world is so broken. And what Peter is telling us here is that the promise will be fulfilled. Wait for it. Wait for it. For the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell. How do we wait for that? How do we live this kind of waiting life? Well, that takes us to the text that Mo read for us earlier. It's the final lines of this letter. From verse 14 down to 18. And I think that in here, Peter gives us four things that we need to do as we wait for Christ's return. Four things to do as we look ahead and hold on to his promise. And here's the first one. It's pursue purity. Pursue purity. Look at verse 14. It says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. There's another translation. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Another translation, the New International Version, puts it this way. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. That is, at peace with God. Peter isn't just saying, listen, be on your best behavior until Jesus comes back. No, he's saying more than that. You know, elsewhere, this same apostle Peter, he calls Jesus Christ the spotless one, the blameless one. The Bible teaches us that if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've confessed him as Lord, then guess what? God is in the process of making you more like Jesus Christ. He's making you more like the spotless one, the blameless one, the sinless one. God is purifying you. You may not feel like it today, but he's doing that. He's making you more holy, and one day you are going to be sinless. You're going to be pure. But until that day, Peter's saying, listen, don't be passive and complacent. Instead, he says, actively pursue that purity now, as you wait for the Lord to make you perfectly pure one day. 
In one sense, Peter is saying, right now, be becoming what you will one day be. Be in the process now of becoming what you will one day be perfectly when Christ returns. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 2. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's saying, make the effort towards holiness. Make the effort to live more like Christ, knowing that all the while it's God that's working in you to make you more like Christ. So so there's exertion on our part, but it's really energized by God, his spirit at work in us. But exertion is called for. Exertion is called for. And we know this, right? Listen to what D.A. Carson, he's a teacher and author, he, he says this, He says, people don't drift toward holiness. Listen listen to what he goes on to say in this book called For the Love of God. He says, one of the most striking evidences of sinful human nature lies in the universal propensity for downward drift. Like we don't just naturally, passively drift towards what's good. We typically drift towards what's bad. In other words, he says, quote, it takes thought, it takes resolve, it takes energy and effort to bring about positive change. He says, drift, natural drift, is invariably toward compromise. We drift towards comfort. We drift towards indiscipline. We we slide towards disobedience. People don't drift toward holiness. He goes on. We drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, and we call it faith. We cherish the the indiscipline uh, uh, and loss of self-control, and we call that relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness, and we delude ourselves into thinking that we've simply escaped legalism. You see what he's saying? It's a simple fact, and I think we see it in our own lives, and we see it in people around us. When, when we're not exerting effort towards what's good, we typically drift towards what's bad. God says pursuing purity is going to take effort. It, it's going to mean turning away uh, from, from sin, turning away from not just sinful behavior, but turning away from patterns of thought that are leading us towards those behaviors. Now remember, this isn't just, this isn't God coming to us as, as, as a mean-spirited taskmaster who's just saying, hey, I'm coming back soon. You better get your act together. No, this is our loving Father who's saying, listen, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to complete the work that I've begun in you. But until that day when I return, purify yourself. Pursue purity. And then when I get there, I'll finish the job. It raises a question for us. I have to ask myself, am I being diligent to be found spotless and blameless when Christ returns? 
That's a question for all of us. Are you resisting sin where you've seen sin in your life? Maybe it's too easy to see. It's, it's everywhere. And we, ha, ha, are, you, are you struggling against it? Are you wrestling against it? Are you turning away from it? Make every effort, Peter says. Be diligent, he says. That means it's going to take sustained effort over time. And it also means that sometimes we have to take drastic measures, don't we? Some of us know what this feels like, to take drastic measures to overcome sin in our lives. It means doing things like dragging our sin out into the light and confessing it. Confessing it to someone you trust. Not someone who's going to judge you and condemn you, but someone you trust who's not going to just let you continue in that destructive pattern, but is going to help you find a way out of it. Confessing that sin and asking others for help, for prayer. Helping them, asking them to fight with you. It means taking drastic measures like, like refusing to make excuses for yourself or, or just blaming others. Drastic measures, like for some of us, listen, maybe it means taking drastic measures like, like cutting off access to whatever it is in your life that's encouraging and, and enabling sin. Cutting off access to those things that are facilitating sin. And it could be anything for you. I don't know what it might be. I'll give you an example. If 24-7 access to the internet is, is, is actually being used to, to facilitate, to enable, to, to strengthen sin in your life, Maybe you need to make the, the drastic measure, take the drastic measure of cutting off that access. At least for a time. Fasting from it. Maybe cutting it off altogether. Your 24-7 internet access is not vital for your life. We might feel like it is. We feel like our technology is vital. It's not. We lived without this stuff for a long time, right? But holiness is vital. And so if 24-7 internet access is enabling your sin, maybe you need to get rid of it. That's just one example. Maybe it sounds harsh, but think through it. The point is simple, though. Make every effort. It's broad. It's all-encompassing. God is calling you and he's calling me as we wait for Christ's return to do everything in our power to be found without spot or blemish. How serious are we about that? How serious are we about that? Pursue purity. I'm going to skip ahead. The second thing he tells us to do here as we wait for Christ's return beyond pursuing purity, he says, keep perspective. Keep, maintain perspective. Here's where, where we see this. In verse 15, Peter says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And this actually echoes what he said just a little bit earlier in verses 8 to 10, which I read a little while ago. And here's the point. The fact that Christ is returning, hasn't returned yet, the fact that he hasn't come back yet, it doesn't mean that, that God's forgotten. It doesn't mean that he's procrastinating. He hasn't come back because he's patient. And he's patient because he doesn't want people to perish. He wants us to believe in Christ. He wants people to believe in Christ. And, and so if you haven't turned your life over to Jesus... In the words of the Apostle Paul, now is the favorable time. <laughs> Behold, he says, 
Now is the day of salvation. Think about it this way. If you haven't come to place your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, as your Savior, if you haven't yet believed that his death was actually a death for you, a payment for your sins, I want to encourage you to think about this. The patience of the Lord is an opportunity for you to believe. The patience of the Lord is an opportunity for your salvation. Here's how another part of the Bible puts it. puts the same idea. Romans 2. The Apostle Paul says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Hear what he's saying there? God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance, it's all meant to lead us to repentance and faith in Christ. You see, God's patience is purposeful. And its purpose is to bring you and me to a place where we see Jesus as Lord and we see him as Savior. So Peter says, don't take God's patience for granted. Instead, think about his kind patience with you and, and let that drive you away from things that you might be trusting in that are keeping you from Jesus. Let that drive you to trust in him as the Savior that we all truly need. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's easy to lose this perspective, to think that things will always be as they are now. No, now is the time for us all to believe, to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to communicate that gospel, to share that gospel with others. So Peter says, as we wait, as we live this waiting life, pursue purity, keep perspective. And thirdly, in verse 17, he tells us to stay alert. Stay alert. Look, he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability Beloved, knowing this before, and what's the this that he's talking about? We have to back up a little bit to see what he's talking about here. Look at verse 15. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The Apostle Paul is making a cameo appearance here in, the, in this letter from Peter. He's saying, listen, the stuff I'm telling you, Paul said the same thing. I'm not teaching you anything new. What I'm teaching you, Jesus taught, and the Apostle Paul taught. Verse 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in those letters that are hard to understand. Well, that's true, isn't it? Some parts of these New Testament letters are truly hard to understand. Let's not pretend like they're not. But Peter says, they're hard to understand, and the ignorant and the unstable twist them to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Be on guard. Stay alert. You see, Peter's saying that in light of the fact that some people are going to twist God's words, they're going to twist the Bible to make it say what they want it to say. 
to justify their own decisions, justify their own lifestyles. Have you ever done that? I've done this. Rather than confess sin, I've tried to justify my sin by looking at the Bible and trying to twist what God says in there to make me feel better about what I've done. He says, because you know that that's a tendency, a human tendency, here's what you need to do. Take care that you're not carried away by those errors. Don't think that you're above those errors. In the words of 1 Corinthians 10, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Yeah, any one of us can fall. Any one of us can. So Peter knows that danger firsthand. Because if you know the life of Peter, you knew that this actually happened to him quite a few times. He, he lost his stability and he fell. He got confused and he lost his way. He had fallen more than once when he wasn't careful. He had been foolishly self-confident at times. And so, and so really out of his own experience, he's warning these people that he, that he loves. How many times does he call us beloved He's saying, don't make the same mistakes I made. He warns them because he loves them. He warns us. God does because he loves us. So Peter knows that there's more than one way that you can lose your stability. There are many ways. What happened to Peter in his life at points, he lost his stability in different ways. Sometimes it's because he stopped believing um, and trusting in the Lord. So he acted foolishly. Sometimes there was, there was a, a point in Peter's life, you can read about it in Galatians chapter 2, where he was led away by people who were overemphasizing the law of God. They were legalists, and they were, they were so emphasizing the law of God that they had forgotten about God's grace. And, and, and Peter was tripped up by that. They were, they were twisting God's words, and he got twisted up with it. And the same thing can happen to us. But here, what Peter's talking about here, He's talking about the flip side. He's not, he's not warning us so much against making too much of God's laws, because we can do that and become legalists. But he's warning us against the error of lawless people. He's warning us against this, this belief that can creep into our minds that says, because I've believed in Jesus Christ, and I believe that he died for me, and he rose again, it doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't really matter if I'm, if I'm trying to like, follow him, obey him, be like him. It doesn't really matter because he died for me. Peter's saying that's, that there's error there. It's dangerous error. Because the scriptures make it clear to us that if we truly do believe that Jesus did in fact die for us, then he is our Lord and we want to, we will need to follow him. Obey him. Seek to live like him. Not so that God will accept us, but because, because he already has accepted us. I've been a Christian long enough to have seen people lose stability and never regain it. Maybe you have too. Maybe you've seen people completely walk away or, or, or fall away. So the truth that they once believed about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return, they no longer believe that anymore. Peter's warning us against that. In order for us to wait for his return, we need to pursue purity. 
We also need to stay alert. Stay alert. And fourthly, lastly, last thing he tells us to do here, he says, keep growing. Keep growing. As we wait for Christ's return, keep growing. This is something for us to think about as we go into 2020. Um, look at verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, uh, experience more of his grace. Grow to know him better. Grow closer to him. Grow in your understanding of just your appreciation of who he is and what he's done. Grow in your intimacy with him. And the first, the first word there, it's, it's but. We don't want to overlook that little word. It's important. Because it connects the instructions with the ones before it. In other words, Peter's saying, take care that you don't get led astray and you don't lose your stability, but instead, grow in grace. So really what he's saying here is you have two options. We all have two options. Either we're going to be growing or we're going to be unstable. Either we will grow or we're going to fall. So if we're not growing, we're really already losing stability. We all know that growth in any person is a sign of health, right? Any organism, right? A child, a plant, a tree. If it's growing, that means there's life there. That means there, there's health there. When does a plant stop growing? When does a tree stop growing? Either when it's dead or when it's mature, it, it, it's reached its final point. And the same thing with us, right? I'm not growing anymore. At least I'm not growing vertically anymore anyway. And, and it's because I've gotten as tall as God wants me to be. Physically, I've matured to that point. Peter wants us to... Pursue growth, to keep growing because he knows, one, you're not dead yet, and two, you're not completely mature yet. You haven't reached that point where you can say, I am where God has always wanted me to be. I'm done growing. I know Jesus as well as I'm ever going to know him. I love him as much as I ever will love him. I've received as much grace as I need. I'm good. No, he says, keep growing. Keep growing. And growth, of course, requires nurturing, requires feeding, it requires watering. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you believed in Jesus, you were given new life. Implanted in you new eternal life. When he says keep growing, he's saying nurture that life that you've already been given. Keep cultivating it. Develop that new life that has already been implanted in you. I'll just read the quote. This is a quote from Pastor Tim Keller. He says, growth is nurturing and developing the new life that has been implanted in you. Again, we're going into 2020, right? And so many of us maybe are thinking about resolutions. We're thinking about radical changes we want to make in our lives. 
I'm not saying resolutions are bad or aiming for radical change in your life is bad. I'm not saying that. But I am saying maybe here's a place to start. Why don't we just start thinking about growth instead? Not radical upheaval, complete 180s. How about just growth? Steady, incremental growth, which takes effort, of course, because remember, we don't drift towards that. We drift away from it. We tend towards stagnation. We tend towards complacency. And so to require effort for us to cultivate growth. But it's growth in small ways. Maybe we should be aiming for. Starting small. In our discipleship groups, many of us have been in our men's and women's discipleship groups, we've been learning about, uh, about habit formation and about how our minds form habits and how we're wired uh, to develop new practices through habituation, through practices that if we, we do them again and again, they become automatized, they become so natural to us, and we actually grow that way. God uses habit formation to actually grow us. Maybe for us, many of us, growth in this new year just looks like forming some pretty mundane habits, like reading God's Word, and praying, talking to Him, and listening to Him, like, like gathering together to worship Him, like getting together with other brothers and sisters to, to just to enjoy community and fellowship where we can encourage one another about who Christ is and what He's done and how He's coming back. Maybe growth for some of us means just, just small incremental changes in each of those areas. Because growth is gradual. I've, uh, I've, I've shared this before, this, this little illustration, but I can remember years ago watching a, uh, watching a video on YouTube of a vine that was growing. Imagine, how can you see a vine growing? The only reason I could see that vine growing is because it had been sped up hundreds, maybe thousands of times, so that this vine was uh, before my eyes actually spinning upwards and growing up this, 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 uh, this rod. Of course, naturally, no one would ever notice a vine growing. I can look out at these trees. I don't see anything happening. I look at that bush out there. I don't see anything. It's not moving. But it's growing. A tree, that bush. The vine, they're growing, but it's so gradual that it's imperceivable. We can't even see it, and yet if we were to speed it up, we'd see some serious growth. We'd see some serious growth. So here's the thing. Just because you're not seeing growth in your life right now does not mean that it's not happening. Don't believe that growth in your life is going to happen quickly. Or that it's always going to happen because of some crisis, huge cataclysmic change, some kind of breakthrough. God changes us through cataclysmic, cataclysmic events. He changes us through breakthroughs. He changes us through these crises that we experience. There's no doubt that he can bring growth through those things, and he does. But that's not the only way he works. And usually it's not the way he works. Usually he brings about growth slowly. 
Talk to an older believer. Talk to someone who's been following Jesus for decades and decades. Talk to that person about, about how growth has happened in their life. I'm willing to bet that they will tell you that, sure, there, there may have been these breakthroughs and these, these leaps and bounds that they made along the way, but generally, over the course of their life, real growth happened slowly over time as they kept seeking to grow by reading God's word, enjoying time with God, fostering intimacy with him, getting to know him, worshiping him with other believers. Those older saints will probably tell you stories of gradual change, and they'll tell you about the mundane ways in which it happened. That's how growth usually comes. I don't like hearing that personally because I like quick, easy results. Do any of you enjoy quick, easy results? I certainly do. Don't we all? We want, if we want to achieve some kind of change in our lives, we want it to happen like now. I want to be fit tomorrow. And so when we want to like change quickly, what do we do? We, we try to make fast changes that will hopefully affect immediate transformation. So if I want to get fit for 2020, what can I do? Maybe go out and buy some exercise equipment. Go buy a bike. Get some running shoes. Join a gym. Why, why would I do, I do those things? Because, because those things, they, they, it feels like I'm putting forth effort, right? I'm doing something. I'm taking a step. It looks like commitment, but it's really not commitment. It doesn't really require diligence or self-control to buy a pair of Nikes. It, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It feels like a step in the right direction, but it's not. And the, the reason it's often our first step is because it's easy and it feels good to buy that gear, to join that gym. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying that if we think that change will come that easily and that quickly, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way in any area of life. And it won't work with regard to our spiritual growth. The way that growth happens for us and if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know this is true, New Hope. The way it happens is through a billion imperceptible advances over time as you water and you cultivate through these simple rhythms of life that God's given us. Reading his word, prayer, fellowship, community, worship. That's what the waiting life looks like. It's active, but it's not harried and hasty. It's patient. Thousands of mornings getting up early to crack our Bibles. Thousands of Lord's Days gathering together to worship. Thousands of evenings or middays or mornings where we're talking to our God, conversing with our Father. It's how this growth happens, isn't it? So, New Hope. Beloved children of God, when Christ returns, we are going to experience the, the, the culmination, the, the completion of our salvation. You will be pure as he is pure. You will be fully grown and matured into the person that God made you to be. 
you will see Jesus with your eyes. And you'll see him to be the Savior and the Lord of all. And you will, for the first time, experience life in a world that's made new. A world that is what it was meant to be, only better. A world made right. But for now, what does Peter say? According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so our anticipation must lead to action. So my encouragement to us as a church isn't in the way of resolutions necessarily, but it's simply this. In 2020, let's, let's pursue purity. Let, let's keep perspective. Let's stay alert. Let's keep growing. That, that's that waiting life. And I'll end with these words from 2 Peter 3.18. To Christ be the glory, both now and 2020, and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for always fulfilling your promises. And, and uh, we confess, Lord, that sometimes when, when these promises don't get fulfilled quickly, we start to wonder if you've forgotten about us. We start to wonder if we've placed our faith in the wrong place. Keep us from that, Lord. Help us to live this waiting life. Not passive, not complacent, Lord. Help us to be about what you've put us here for. Help us to be about your mission as a church. But help us to be about your mission with patience and with trust. That just as sure as you came 2,000 plus years ago, you will come again. Just as sure as you broke into the world as a child, you will break in once again as a king to restore and to rule. We praise you. We ask for faith to wait. In your name, amen.